and I'm going to call up Alex to read. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. It was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing uncommon or un unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as, us, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift, I'm sorry, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. Thank you, Alex. All right, well, today kind of sounds like the story from last week, doesn't it? A little bit. Well, today we're going to be answering the question, who are we to stand in God's way? And that's the question that we're going to be contemplating today. A commentator by the name of Roe said this. He said, there is no such thing, at least in the book of Acts, as being a Christian in private. And I agree with this statement. And oftentimes in our American individualistic society, we make matters of faith very private, right? I've heard it said, oh, my faith is a, is a private thing. It's, it's my own, and, and I don't share it with anyone else. You ever heard that comment, right? Um, this notion is highly contradicted in the book of Acts, as, as we'll see. Everybody's in everybody's business all the time. It's, it's the nature of community and of the church, and this is the way God intended it to be. And this brings up some very interesting dilemmas, though, as we go through Acts, uh, which happens to be something that comes up in today's passage. Now, I can just imagine the encounter between Peter and the believing Jews in Jerusalem. The tone of their voices, the look on their faces. Oh, Peter, you messed up again, but this time, big time. You went to uncircumcised men meaning you spent time in the house of a Gentile. And we heard that you not only spent the night there, but you ate with them. You are unclean. Now, why is this such a big deal? 
Who cares if Peter ate some food with an upscale general in the Roman army? It's a big deal because what Peter and Cornelius did with one another, this interaction they had with one another, was an act of hospitality. And hospitality was a demonstration of acceptance and association, a gesture of equality and brotherhood. Hospitality is welcoming strangers in as brothers. And hospitality is acknowledgement of one another's oneness or unity in Jesus Christ. So sharing food together and eating a meal with someone is an intimate exchange. It's, it's something we all do with, with, with those that are friends and those that are one. Inviting someone in to stay in one's house is an, act of, is an extension of trust, right? In the book of Acts, we learn that hospitality is more than inviting a lifelong friend over for a barbecue in the afternoon. Hospitality in the New Testament includes sharing life with someone who was a stranger, Inviting uh, people of different ethnicity and different background, different, so, different social uh, status into our homes, into, church, into our churches, into our friend groups, into our lives, like, like Peter and Cornelius did. Romans 12, 13, Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Ro- uh, Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says, let brotherly love continue Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels, right? Unawares, right? In 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. So in each of these, there's this idea of love, and together with it is this idea of hospitality. It says, since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so the Jewish believers in Jerusalem heard that Peter had spent time in Cornelius' house and that he ate with him, right? And, and as with all gossip and rumors, right, the whole truth was not conveyed. Only the seemingly offensive act was what hit the grapevine. Did you hear? Peter ate and lodged in a Gentile home. He is now unclean. All right, so that's, that's where we find ourselves in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 1 to 3. And I'm going to reread it here. Verse 1 to 3 says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. And these were pretty serious accusations aimed at Peter. See, Peter was the chief apostle, the head of the church in Jerusalem. People were following his lead on things. The situation had to be addressed, but they had made a few critical errors. Number one, they judged Peter according to their Jewish laws. And they criticized Peter because he acted contrary to a highly volatile religious and politically charged societal virtue. The concept of virtue signaling, if you've been listening lately, or moral posturing was around even back in the early church. Only difference was instead of uh, being virtuous by outwardly portraying acceptance and tolerance towards those who were different, they signaled their virtue by distancing themselves from those who were different or unclean. And Peter and Cornelius were not simply signaling a virtue, though. They were obeying Jesus by faith. Hospitality is a result of faithfully obeying Jesus. Hospitality is so much more than signaling a virtue or posturing one's social media presence as, uh, so one looks inclusive to everyone. Hospitality is welcoming and accepting brothers and sisters in Christ into our homes, our families, and into our lives. 
And Peter and the six brothers who went with him in verse 12 didn't accept the invitation to go to Cornelius' home because they thought it would make them look good or because they wanted to push equality or so that they would appear accepting of all races. This wasn't their advertisement for tolerance and equality. In fact, they knew that this visit and this inclusion with the Gentiles would be offensive to many Jews, to a whole subset of society. And they knew people would say to them, how can you claim to be a good Christian and associate with them, right? With those Gentiles. But they did it anyway because God was at work in Cornelius' life and Peter's life. And they went in obedience to the command of God and they stayed with and ate with the Gentiles as response to the saving work of Jesus in the lives of all that were there. So Jesus brought the unity to the different ethnicities. And this is what is so powerful about the word of God, about God's expectations and about God's kingdom. True faith in Jesus, true fear of the Lord, true spirit-led behavior is not about signaling something. It's not about political correctness. It's not about posturing one's image. It's not about tolerance and advertising equality. Faith in Jesus goes well beyond posting on social media or posturing oneself with a disingenuous moral viewpoint simply that, so that I can portray a moral tolerance. Faith in Jesus, fear of God, and spirit-led behavior results in truly being hospitable, a truly hospitable community as a result of changed lives. Lives do, that do not uh, live in a virtual community or an idealized community, but in a real, honest, down-to-earth trusting community which steps over the previous social barriers because the person, the work of Jesus in their lives. The new community, God's kingdom, takes little regard for what the world at large or secular society thinks is important or how they will be perceived. The new community's only concern is loving God through faith in Jesus, and loving others as he has loved them. It's an interesting thing, though, to observe that those under the influence of the devil in the world will try to create this community, this inclusion, this equality, right? They'll try to create it. They'll try to create a similar community to what the church is, a peaceful coexistence, a brotherly love, but it doesn't ever seem to work. Just look at all the organizations and all the governments that have tried to do it even this last year, right? And I've said it before, I said it last week, but without hearts being forgiven and set free by Jesus first, man's idea of community is never going to work because Jesus is missing. The reason for this is that most people want the benefits of the kingdom of God. They want what God has to offer. They want it, but they don't want to submit to the rule and reign of the king of that kingdom, which is Jesus. And this is what I find fascinating. Virtue signaling is all about projecting an image an image very similar to the Christian way. Virtue signaling is all about portraying acceptance and love and tolerance and compassion. However, when Jesus is left out of the equation, the virtue is only skin deep. It only lasts as long as that post on the app because it's not a true reflection of the Holy Spirit of Jesus in the heart of that individual. You see, those who place themselves under the lordship and leadership of Jesus are changed on the inside by the indwelling Holy Spirit so that they can radiate the characteristics of who God is. 
And if we love God with all that we are, the first commandment, then he will empower us to love our neighbor as ourselves, the second commandment. God's love through Jesus in our hearts absolutely must be present or a community will fall apart. And there's a reason that Jesus placed the two commands in the order that he did. All virtue must stem from a relationship with Jesus or it is not a virtue at all. It is a self-promoting ruse. Disciples of Jesus don't virtue signal. They genuinely love others, regardless of background or color of skin or political affiliation, by living out the way of Jesus through the power of the indwelling Spirit. True hospitality, accepting one another into our lives and into our homes, is a work of the Holy Spirit. Hospitality cannot be coerced. It cannot be legislated. It must come from faith in Jesus and obedience to the Holy Spirit. Now that was some touchy landmine stuff if you're not familiar with what's going on out there. But enough on that. All right, to Peter's explanation of what really happened when he was with the Gentile Cornelius in his home. Let's look at verse 4 through 15. But Peter began and explained uh, it in order to them. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet, descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. And this happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send a Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as he began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as it had on us at the beginning. So this is point two. Peter gave a peaceful explanation. So I want you to notice in verse five, where was Peter when this all began? He was praying. Uh, I cannot stress enough how important the discipline of prayer is in the life of a disciple of Jesus. Not only do we get to speak to God in prayer, but God speaks to our hearts as we quiet ourselves and set aside time to focus on him. Prayer is not just about talking. Prayer is about listening to God. So often in our busy American lives, we're uncomfortable with silence. How many of you started to squirm? That was only five seconds. Did you start to squirm? Like, what's going on? What's he doing, right? Just a short time. But we squirm just at that little bit of silence. So we fill it with anything we can. Typically, it's unimportant dribble. And we often do this with God, right? We're praying to him. Even if we set aside time to pray, after a few minutes of talking to God, when we've run out of petitions and prayer requests and we can't think of anything else to lay before him, any more of our concerns, there's a pause and we rarely ever sit in that pause. We'll turn on the radio or turn, turn to our favorite app and fill the silence with a Christian song. We'll start talking about nothing in particular. We'll open an email so we can learn about more things to pray about, right? 
We'll flip to the news app so that we're, we're current on what's going on so we can pray into that as well. But God wants us to be still and to be silent and to know, to know that he is God, to experience that he is God. And, and sometimes we have to be quiet and sit in that. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The word for be still is to be silent. To be silent. Psalm 62, 5 says, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He wants to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait on him. Lamentations. Incredible book. Chapter 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him, It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. To wait quietly literally means to silently wait. To be dumb, to be wordless in our waiting. Prayer is a time to both speak to God but also to listen to him. There is a time to speak and a time to be silent. And in your time of prayer, allow time to be silent so that you can hear the Spirit of God as you open his word, let him speak to you. Be comfortable with silence. It's something that our society has thrown away, but it's oh so important. Prayer, both speaking to and listening to God, is an integral part of the life of a disciple. It is a necessary component for a deep relationship with the Father. And Peter went onto the roof and he prayed. He went onto the roof in order to both speak to God, but also to listen for his voice and to receive direction for his next steps. And in the course of his prayer, Peter saw a vision from God. God typically does not speak to us, his followers, in visions anymore. I'm going to get to that in a second because visions are important. But, but he typically doesn't speak to us, his followers, in visions anymore. He speaks to us through his written word, and through the thoughts that his spirit puts into our heads. But the thoughts, if they are from the spirit of God, will always line up with scripture. The leading of the spirit will never be contrary to what God has written out in his word. In our story for today, Peter described a vision in detail. What is interesting is that Luke doesn't choose to summarize Peter's, uh, Peter's recounting of the story. Luke actually reiterates the whole story. We just read it last week, and we read it again this week, right? Why? Why would an author choose to take time and the space and the effort to record the same events twice? You could just go back and look at it. Why would you record it twice? If you're an author, because you do this because the event is important. The main reason a speaker or writer repeats something is so that they can emphasize it, that bring further attention to it, reinforce the significance of the event. And Luke wants Peter's vision and the events that unfolded after it to stick in the minds of his readers. Luke wants everyone to remember that the inclusion of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God was initiated and orchestrated by God himself. It wasn't something Peter wanted. It was something that God had orchestrated himself. God himself called the believing Gentiles clean. The truth did not begin with any human orientation, but with God himself. Peter did not make the decision on his own. In fact, he protested against God three times. 
Peter protested. He, he admitted that he was perplexed by this command of Jesus. It seems so out of the ordinary. By no means, Lord, will I do this. And Luke records this, and then Peter makes sure to state this to his accusers because it proves the point that this was God's idea, not Peter's. He's like, this was not my way. Peter was a devout Jew who followed the laws and the customs as best he could. He was not the type to willy-nilly change something as big as this. Besides, he was a fisherman by trade. He wasn't a a Pharisee or anything like that. What authority did he have to make such a culture-forming decision? He didn't. And that's why he protested so vehemently. You know, saying, this is a little side, saying no way to, no way, Lord, is not a great idea. I've done this a few times in my life. I originally said, Lord, we're not going to Papua New Guinea, we're going to go to Africa. Well, guess where I ended up? I said, Lord, no way am I ever going to lead, be a lead pastor out in a cornfield. I'm not fit for that work. Guess where I landed? Peter said, no way, Lord. I'm never going to eat anything unclean. Guess where he ended up? I say this a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I've heard it from enough people that I think God has a sense of humor this way, right? God will often put us in the places that we say, absolutely not, God, I'm not going there. Think of Moses, think of Jonah, think of Jeremiah, think of Peter, all of them. I'm just saying, don't say, well, maybe you should say, I'll never work in children's church because he may just put you there. And we'd be happy to have you there. Um, And Peter followed. So the Spirit told him to go with the men who arrived from Caesarea. And he was to do so without hesitation, without discrimination. Peter was to go to the place he said he'd never go and interact with the people he said he'd never interact with. And as he was going, he wasn't to judge the situation before he went or the people. He was simply to go in obedience to Jesus and accept them. And Peter prayed to God the Father. He heard the instructions and the commands of Jesus. And as countercultural as it was, he humbly obeyed. Peter's a great example for us. Simple obedience to the commands of Jesus. When we do so, we and everyone else that we come in contact with will be blessed. And Peter admitted to the Jerusalem brothers that all of them, he and the six brothers, entered this Gentile's homes. That meant that all of them were unclean. All of them would have been unclean. According to Jewish customs, this was taboo. And Peter rehearsed, though, as they entered, how Cornelius had come to send for Peter. The angel had said that Peter would arrive and declare a message to them by which they would be saved. Now, we touched on this last week, but again, it's so fascinating that God did not just simply tell Cornelius the message right then and there in the vision, right? Why didn't God just tell Cornelius the answer that he needed, the way of salvation in the vision? It's an important question to ask. I believe it's because God determined and he commanded that the message of salvation would be proclaimed through the mouths of humans who believed in the name of Jesus, not through visions. And what this means is that if we neglect, if we as believers neglect to tell others about Jesus, that God is not going to use another means to communicate that message to them. It's through us. When I was a mission pastor at Elmbrook, we used to have pastors and ministry leaders from indigenous groups and places all over the world. They would come for a two-week retreat in Wisconsin for a sabbatical. 
And they would be refreshed by being loved on by us, and we got to practice hospitality with people from all over the world. And we got to learn incredible things from them. And we were always blessed by their testimonies and their presence with us. And many of them would actually come and they would, they would tell stories with a similar scenario to this that would be happening in their context around the world, like places like Indian, India and Indonesia and Pakistan. So people would be seeking the Lord but they, and they would be lost as ever and they would not know who God is or Jesus is or how to find him but they would receive a vision in the night and the person in the vision would tell them to search out a particular person because that person would explain to them the way of salvation. And that individual would wake up and they would go find that person that was specified in the vision and they would hear about Jesus and they would place their faith in him and they would get saved. And this story happens right now all the time, all over the world. Although this is not God's typical way of dealing with things, he still does speak to people, particularly unbelievers, in visions and dreams and point them to people who can tell them about Jesus. But how do we know if a vision or a dream is from God or if it's from the enemy, the devil, right? Because it can be really confusing. Here's it. If the person in the vision prompts the individual to find a Christian and hear the way of salvation from another human being, it's of the Lord. If it comes back to the written word of God and hearing it from the mouth of a human being, it's going to be from the Lord. If the person in the vision tells the individual almost anything else, it's not of the Lord. The true way of salvation through Jesus Christ is always preached through a human being who has received their information from the written word of God. God's final word of revelation came through God's final prophet, Jesus. What is written concerning Jesus and his way of salvation is final. It will not change. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Don't fall prey to the teachings and slick talk of false prophets who say they had a unique revelation from the Lord. It's not true. If it's not in here, if the angel or the vision or the dream doesn't point you to the word of God, and to a living human being who will explain to you the way of Jesus, it's not to be listened to. And this is God's way of validating and maintaining the purity of the gospel so that we all go back to the source. And so Peter obediently preached to Cornelius. He told the Gentiles about salvation found in Jesus. He told them about Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection from the dead. He told them that Jesus is the one. He's the way of salvation. And as he preached, they believed in Jesus. The Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had fallen upon the believers and the believing Jews in Jerusalem. If God presents you with an opportunity to tell others about Jesus, if he has some individual or a family say, please tell us why you are not afraid, why you are at peace, why you are content, why you are so loving, why do you go to church, then don't be ashamed to answer with the truth of Jesus, the truth which the Holy Spirit, we learned this about this weeks ago, he will give you the words to say when you need them to say, right? Words like, God in the person of Jesus Christ came to earth to save us from our sin. 
Jesus was a perfect man who was sent by God to take the punishment for all the evil that each one of us has done. And he died in our place. But Jesus rose from the dead and anyone who believes in Jesus did all that for them by simply placing their faith in them can have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. It's that simple. And this is why I'm not afraid, right? Even if I die, I know that I have a secure future in heaven with Jesus. And this is why I'm at peace, because no matter what happens, I know that Jesus is in control of my destiny. And this is why I'm content, because Jesus promised to provide for all of my needs. And this is why I'm loving, because Jesus first loved me. He loved me enough when I was a sinner, living in my sin and rejection of him, that he, he asked me now to love others in that same condition. And this is why I go to church, because all of us who believe in Jesus gather together to encourage one another and to eat with one another and to share life with one another. Why don't you place your faith in Jesus as well and come join us? It's a wonderful community to be part of. Don't be ashamed to speak the truth of Jesus in the name of Jesus and all that he's done in your life with others. Point three, Peter had a humble realization. Verse 16 to 18. And I remembered the word of the Lord, said Peter, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter remembered. Notice that Peter did not defend himself through a theological treatise. He did not explain his actions through a proper, proper doctrinal dissertation with bullet point after bullet point, right? Peter recounted the events that happened. He related his experience within the framework of something he remembered Jesus saying. He recounted his events in the framework of the word of God. Peter quoted Jesus as he related the events which happened to him. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Most often, telling our story of how we came to faith or how a friend came to faith is much more convincing than a crystal clear Romans road explanation of the mechanics of salvation. The doctrines of Scripture are not meant to be taught independently from the stories of Scripture or from the stories that make up our lives. Salvation and justification and adoption and predestination are not doctrines that are learned through bullet point presentations. They are learned in the context of real life experiences. And they are formed and realized in everyday context of everyday relationships that we have. And this episode really could have been potentially brought up all kinds of doctrinal difficulties, right? Predestination, election, repentance, limited atonement, salvation, pneumatology, Christology. Some of you don't even know what those words are. They could have brought all, that all could have came up. But it isn't a doctrinal thing. Instead of going into a theological doctrinal basis for what he did or defending his actions based on doctrinal presuppositions, Peter quoted scriptural truth what Jesus said, and he combined it with the facts of his circumstances, and he interpreted this within the framework of God's character and God's providence. And I love how Peter ends his explanation with a question. If God did for them what he did for us, who was I to stand in God's way? Right? Peter was like, I didn't orchestrate any of this. I was vehemently opposed to what God was doing. Three times I said no to God, right? 
This is what happened to me. This is what Jesus said directly to me in his vision. This is what happened to them, as same that said happened to us. And this is what Jesus said would happen to all of us on earth. How could I argue with that? And with this statement, Peter admitted that at first he had the same questions and concerns that they did, the same hesitations, the same repulsions as his accusers did. But in the end, Peter repented of his wrong way of thinking and he believed what God said, what God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. And this question, who was I to stand in God's way, after relating this whole episode to them, reminded them of what Jesus said and filled them in on how he had processed the situation and circumstances. And it basically forced his accusers to reevaluate their thought processes as well. If God did the same thing within their hearts as he did within ours, then God is impartial. And they have equal standing in his kingdom. The Jerusalem believers needed to understand that God's salvation through Jesus was not only for Jews or for the circumcised, but instead, believing, belief that God's salvation through Jesus is for all people, whether or not they're circumcised. So people can argue with doctrine. They, we do it all the time. People can argue with theology. We do it all the time. But people have a really difficult time arguing with God's working in our lives according to the word of God. And this is why Luke uses narrative or story form. This is why Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, determined it was essential to record the acts of the Holy Spirit in real-life situations within the early church. And that is why he repeated this story, because this was such groundbreaking truth that all people were on equal playing field. And the same goes today. When you share your testimony of what Jesus has done for you, it makes God's word come alive and it becomes relevant because it actually is. People can argue with your five points of doctrine or your ten points of theology, but they have a difficult time arguing with you when you describe God doing a supernatural work of salvation in your life based off of his written word that he has given to you. Sharing your testimony makes the theoretical become practical. Sharing your testimony makes the religious become relational. Sharing your testimony is being a witness of Jesus' resurrection, proving that he is alive and well doing work in our hearts. Though you have seen him, you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, Peter says. Though you haven't seen him, you make him alive by sharing the stories of what he's doing inside of you. Don't be afraid to share your testimony, what Jesus has done for you. Don't be afraid to say, hey, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. He has given me his Holy Spirit, and because of this, I have seen or experienced Jesus do this or that or the other thing. This is what being a witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth is all about. We declare to others what Jesus has done for us through belief in his name and in his written word. And as a result, the whole group heard the things that Peter had to say. They could not argue with what Peter told them. Peter related how God spoke to him and how he was obedient and how God worked through his obedience. And they fell silent. They fell silent, it says, in response to God's wisdom. And they glorified God in recognition of God's mercy and his grace to all people. And they acknowledged God's acceptance of the Gentiles on the basis of repentance and belief in Jesus. 
This passage and the response to the Jewish church in Jerusalem is incredibly important. Here's what Luke is declaring. People do not need to become Jewish in order to be saved. The good news of peace for all people through Jesus Christ because he is Lord of all. There's one way. God did not create a Gentile church and a Jewish church, each with their own ways of coming to him. God created one universal church where every nationality comes to him through the way, Jesus. There is one truth. God did not declare one set of truths for the Jews and one set of truths for the Gentiles. God declared one truth for all mankind, the truth, Jesus. There is one life. God did not create grace uh, for the Jews through Jesus Christ and then another way of life through another individual for the Gentiles. God graced Jews and Gentiles with the life, Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one, not Jew or Gentile, African or Asian, European, Hispanic, not old or young, male or female, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Then, I guess, that to the Gentiles also, to everybody, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. The source of and reason for Christian hospitality, for inclusion, acceptance, love, grace, all that is belief in the gospel of Jesus for salvation from death and forgiveness of sins. Jesus is who unites people from different cultures and races. Jesus is who makes us acceptable to God. Jesus is who establishes a new culture, a new command, a new covenant. Paul spoke of this in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And Paul in his letter to the Galatians, the whole book of Galatians is about this issue of what do you have to do in order to be saved, right? And he uses strong language against Jewish people who were infiltrating the church in Galatia and insisting that the Galatians become circumcised in order to become part of the church of Jesus. And Paul said this, he said, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And in Galatians 6, he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In Colossians, Paul says this, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. In the kingdom of God, there's no segregation, there's no racism, there's no prejudice, there is only faith working in love, a new creation, Jesus Christ in all. And this is profound truth. Paul is not speaking of tolerance as the media describes it. He's not speaking of social posturing as social media portrays it. He's not speaking of social justice as the politicians promote. Paul is speaking of faith and love and hope all found in the person of Jesus Christ. Faith and love and hope in Jesus is what unifies us, is what allows us to live lives together in harmony and peace, and what motivates us to love and serve one another. The kingdom of God is not about earthly ideals, but about genuine, earthy, reality-based fruit of the Spirit. What the Spirit of God produces in our lives is tangible, visible, observable fruit of love, joy, peace, and hope, all sourced in faith. But the greatest of these is love. 
There's no place in the body of Christ for saying, why do you associate with this person or that group? What God has declared clean because of their faith in his son Jesus, man cannot declare unclean. Regardless of background, regardless of previous religious affiliation, regardless of ethnicity or political party, or regardless of style or piercings or markings or associations or previous sexuality or rank or affiliation or employment, if they believe in Jesus and are saved, they are washed clean in the blood of the Lamb and they are declared clean by God. And if they are declared clean, then we cannot declare them unclean for any reason. Salvation is a work of God's Spirit from start to finish. And Peter reiterates, who are we to stand in God's way? The result of obedience on behalf of Cornelius and Peter was salvation, a filling of the Spirit, forgiveness of sins, baptism, and hospitality. In essence, Peter was saying, this is why I stayed and I ate with them. It was the Lord's will. And we have learned, I have learned, Peter said, the hard way, I don't want to stand in the way of God's will. The new church comprised of Jew and Gentile, the new kingdom comprised of believers from all nations, the new covenant sourced in the perfect blood of Jesus, the new command to love one another, the new cultural norm to be generous and hospitable to our brothers and sisters in Christ. All of this was conceived in the mind of God, initiated by the Son of God and sustained by the Spirit of God. It only makes sense that instead of protesting and resisting and arguing or standing in God's way, we fall in step, all of us, with gracious, loving way, and we follow the way of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It's so timely. It's incredibly pertinent to the society we live in. God, help us to form our lives around your word and around what is true around the way, the truth, and the life, not around what our society tells us is acceptable and good. Help us to form our lives around you. Make us disciples of Jesus. Make us different from the world because we are so preoccupied with the person of Jesus. And help us to love those who put their faith in you and be hospitable to them and welcome them and encourage them in the name of Jesus. May everyone that looks on us know that we are your disciples because of our love for one another. Be with us as we go this week. Encourage us, sustain us, guide us, and fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand for the benediction? As you're doing so, we have uh, coffee and donuts for Father's Day. We have a celebration every week, it seems like. We have something for you to eat every week because there's always something to celebrate. It's good. Why don't you receive this benediction? May the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in, abundance, in accordance with Christ Jesus. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Thank you, are dismissed. Have a wonderful week.